I threw in sausage because I love sausage. your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's here. It's finally here. The Pro Bowl. <laughs> so, hey, guys. We got Connor here. We got Sean. Hello. And we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, guys? How's tricks down in Cork? Uh, not too bad. The uh, football was not kind to me. The European football was not kind to me at the weekend. My team, Liverpool, finally managed to score some goals, but uh, unfortunately we're unable to prevent the other team from scoring more goals which is quite a uh, fatal flaw to have in any uh, football yeah, it seems game. It seems like a tactical mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't agree with the decisions myself. I thought they, they really should have tried to stop them scoring a few of them, but it wasn't to be. So, uh, yeah, their season is slowly falling apart, which is nice to have. Back back to the old Liverpool of me tearing my hair out and being endlessly frustrated with how crap they are. Yeah, fair enough. What about yourself, Fitz? Uh, to be fair to Liverpool, it's a season where I can expect that everyone else might collapse at any time, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't count the whole thing out yet because I just I mentioned that they lost to United, but it was in the cup, uh, the second kind of tier competition. So I don't think it was that big of a deal. In terms of myself, you know, it's 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 COVID time. Uh, not really much happening in terms of personal events, but uh, yeah, keeping healthy, keeping safe, and uh, you know, keeping aligned with COVID and all that. No, very good. Yeah, obviously, watching the Chiefs on the weekend made me quite happy. Got a few books read. I've been doing the um, the Irish Times has like a series of online events this week so i've been attending some of those so uh that's why i also wanted to record this a little bit earlier today so i could be free to go watch i think patrick Freyd and paul howard are, are doing one at half six so right. a bit of fun at least yeah so interesting enough apart from that yeah nothing too wild or crazy going back running again so my legs decided that they hate me now and decided to crap out so <laughs> thankfully i got my uh, i ordered some you know those ones that like the exercise resistance band things i got those now so i can try and work on like my ankle strength so it stops going stop being a fat bastard trying to run on me so hopefully that will uh that will fix that all up but apart from that yeah nothing too wild or crazy so i suppose we should have a look at some of the news the majority of the movement at this time of year is one thing and one thing only and that's the coaching carousel philadelphia have hired indianapolis offensive coordinator nick triani as their head coach he's quite young but He's known to be quite a good offensive coordinator. He has uh, some ties to Frank Reich from beforehand. And all the insider talk seems to be that this is someone who will run a similar system and will basically, is hired essentially with the job of get Wentz back working again, get the system that was in behind him. And the, the, the rumor for a few of the people who were interviewed for this position previously, that they were told, and this might be what the uh, what what the conversation with, with with the changeover at head coach was that like that they are they want to wring value out of Carson Wentz. That's the job. There's not a freedom for the coach to be moving away from that. They also bring in Indianapolis TV coach Jonathan Gannon as the defensive coordinator. So it's an interesting move for them. I'm not sure I love it, but again, I think we discussed this last week. Philadelphia, particularly if they're going to hold firm and say, well, you don't really get control over your quarterback choice, it's not an attractive gig, so I suppose you're going to have to go for one of these younger hires to try and get them in. Like I think it's a situation where we've talked about it as being a poison chalice to some extent, obviously because you're going to have to take on Wentz. It seems like the team brass has decided that Wentz is still the future, or certainly you will have to try and make him the future um, in your first year at least. And obviously you're replacing a Super Bowl winning coach, which is just something that very rarely happens when that coach has been fired and, and, and like, like 
kicked out of the building and so you're you're stuck in a situation where you're going to have to come in and people will expect pretty immediate results i imagine i don't think it's a situation where you can expect to have a season like you had this season and have people going to go with the team in transition there's too many veterans on this team obviously with Wentz, he, he's a, he's now i suppose a, you know a relatively veteran quarterback at this point and so yeah you bring in jonathan gannon from, from indianapolis who's fairly well liked uh, did a good job with those dbs javier rhodes last year they got had a reclamation project they've done well they developed a couple of guys who've left in free agency and not been as good so seems to have a good track record in indianapolis and then shane steichen has been brought over from the chargers where he was the uh, oc last year and they obviously had pretty good success with developing justin herbert and having a pretty good offense overall like there were other issues about that team i think the offensive explosiveness wasn't generally one of them they were pretty good in offense so you know like i i think as you say like from from in terms of him as a as a talent as a potential coach i don't think there's anything worse than him than about many of the other guys who've been hired off relatively limited resumes this season but yeah i just think the situation in philadelphia is so toxic that it will be a real struggle for him to make a success of this but uh, i wish him all the best in trying to do so yeah i can understand the logic behind building around wentz i guess i mean i think it is with wentz a kind of a psychological issue that if he can overcome he obviously has very high upside that he can get him back playing at his peak levels he's a very good quarterback and the eagles can be a potent force so i can understand the there's a logic to it in terms of this guy has a sense of perhaps how to bring wentz back in terms of the system i still i don't know i mean it feels a little bit of a risk in terms um, of an experience situation obviously the the indie offense during the season just gone was uh, not the most uh, exciting thing to watch so I, I wouldn't be going on my way to watch eagles games anytime soon but i mean if they if i guess it's a question if they give them a, 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 some time to to right the ship then maybe there is talent in the eagles on both sides of the ball it just isn't coming together but yeah there is perhaps this toxic workplace culture that needs to be overcome as well so if he's given the time and he uh, connects well with Wentz, then there's a there's a, a high upside here but there's a lot of ifs and buts uh, in that particular uh, yeah and i don't think philadelphia is the worst run team in the league but i just think the context with that super bowl looming over him is just going to be such a huge weight on him it's always like that thing of like you want to be the guy who comes after the hugely successful coach not the guy who comes immediately after but uh Mm. Yeah, hopefully he can make the best of it. Fair enough. And Indianapolis promoted QB coach Marcus Brady to replace Sirianni in their organization. Jacksonville have promoted director of pro personnel Brent Balke to be their GM. An experienced hire with, uh, say, some tumultuous GM ten- uh, tenure previously in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, him and the coach <laughs> Harbaugh didn't necessarily see eye to eye. It's it's a smart hire, I imagine, because like, look, you're, you're, you're one concern with bringing in your Urban Meyer is that he doesn't have experience at this level, whereas this is a very experienced GM who knows how to run that kind of stuff. And yes, they got into disagreements with the coach beforehand, but I think this is purely for NFL-level experience of some of that business side of the thing. You know, in terms of experience, having someone who understands the NFL, that was an important criteria. He obviously has a good understanding of the team as well because he's obviously been involved in the front office there. And yeah, I think most of the let's say, I'll say hate, but uh, less optimistic views have come from San Francisco fans, primarily because he was seen as one of the driving forces that led to Harbaugh leaving the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and obviously they, they had a pretty rough period there until um, Shanahan managed to turn that around. So it's definitely a situation where, you know, I think some of the bad 
taste about the harbour era is kind of making some people a little bit questionable about whether this will end up being successful enough. And he is known to be a fairly um, strong personality, uh, in inverted commas. So someone who's not afraid to say what they think and do what they think is right for the team. And of course, when you're talking about Urban Meyer, who is also known as being someone who does things his own way, there is, you know, some worry that maybe there'll be a lot of heads butting in this. But look, you know, given the respective uh, CVs that they have, there's always a chance that these two could combine and uh, the alchemy could create something really good here. But, you know, if things go badly, um, I don't expect it to be something uh, that will go down very quietly uh, from either of these two personalities uh, who are now in charge of this team in mm. Jacksonville. Washington have hired San Francisco VP of Player Personnel Mark Mayhew to be their GM. Uh, he's an experienced candidate with previous GM work in Detroit, although, like I said, I'm not a big fan of Detroit's uh, roster, so I wouldn't <laughs> hold that as a positive. <laughs> Marty Hurley's been given the VP of football role now. Yeah, like, of late, San Francisco have been very good at identifying talent in the draft and going out and getting them. We've seen that on their roster, even playing through injuries this year. They were able to hold it together with a third of their roster missing for some of the year. So if he was as involved as some of the rumours would say he was in some of the selections and, and drafting, that he's a good pickup for them, I think. Yeah, and he, he's supposedly uh, kind of a good with people and kind of good with kind of keeping the organisation uh, uh, somewhat non-toxic environment. I'm not sure how good... Like, the results weren't great when he's in Detroit, but it didn't end up... It didn't turn into a complete crap show in terms of how people mm-hmm. were getting on with each other. So, you know, Marty Herney, I think, was originally, I think we talked about in the off-hockey last week, going to get this role, but I think there was some issues with the hiring rules that unless they offered him the GM, then San Francisco didn't have to allow him to go. They could have blocked mm-hmm. it. There's some rumours that that's why he's been given the GM role instead of Herney. But I think, once again, this is an experienced guy, someone with, I think, R- Rivera has some experience. And as I talked about last week, the main reason you're getting these guys necessarily is to, you know, implement Rivera's vision for the team and to keep the as I called them last week, snakes at the top of the organization from having too much influence. I think in that organization, it's about having people you can trust who will, you know, be on your side and keeping ownership out of noses, out of the footballing operations. And I think he, me, who is an experienced guy and should hopefully be able to do that alongside Herney. Absolutely. It's, um, I mean, the, the battle, there seems to be a battle in the, the management structure of Washington for the soul uh, of that, of that franchise and if Ron Rivera is winning that that battle then that is good news uh, for that and uh, for that particular uh, organization so if this is what Rivera wants then it sounds good to me and hey putting a, a, as many people as possible between the ownership and control uh, of the of the player choosing and such like is is uh, I think a very good decision in, in this regard. Rivera it, it's almost similar to what Marvin Lewis had to do in Cincinnati it's all about rebuilding that organization from the ground up that's the first thing that needs to be done before anything else will work long term in that team no of course uh, Jacksonville hired Baltimore defensive line coach Joe Cullen to be their defensive coordinator and Detroit offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel to be their OC uh, both are experienced Bevel's been an offensive coordinator in a few places Cullen has been a defensive line coach for ages they're nice hires particularly on the defensive side like I wasn't sold on what the offense was doing in Detroit this year but equally I know that they had some injuries and all that kind of stuff so we'll we'll see I also imagine that Urban Meyer is traditionally more of an offensive minded coach right so he's probably taking a lot of that work yeah I would expect he'll have a amount of influence there I think Daryl Bevel when he took over his interim head coach you did see the offense loosen up a bit he's one of these offensive coordinators that no one loves but no one hates he did a decent mm-hmm. job when in seattle did a decent job when he was in minnesota it's just never one of these like superstar offenses but that's why i suppose an experienced oc is still out there 
And look, Cullen has experience in a Baltimore organization that is obviously, you know, very well respected across the league and has plenty of experience. And I think, you know, if you're if you're Urban Meyer, you're coming in with no NFL experience. One of these are guys who should be able to he- let you hit the ground running as soon as possible um, with their respective experience in the NFL. Uh, Baltimore defensive coordinator Dean Pease is now going to be defensive coordinator in Atlanta and Chicago pass game coordinator Dove Ragone is now going to be their OC Pease has you know, got a good track record and he's coming out of retirement for this one uh, the head coach has said he's going to retain play calling on offense so we'd expect Dave Ragone to be more of a I suppose he was pass game coordinator so he probably has been in more of a management rather than kind of game, ca- game calling and strategizing positions so like it makes sense kind of to pair them in when you think of it that way. I'm still not sure on the direction of this team, but like I like the defensive move again more so than the offensive. But again, the head coach is probably going to be doing more on the offensive side anyway. Well, look, Dean, Dean Pease is a pretty big catch. By mm. all accounts, he, he's had a DC experience with the Patriots, with the Ravens, with the Tennessee Titans for a short period. So he's got a really good track record by all accounts and experience in some of the best organizations in the NFL. So to get him out of retirement at 71 is a pretty big move. And it's kind of analogous to what uh, Sean McVay did with Wade Phillips. Kind of get someone who can do the defense for you, who knows how to do that from the ground up, has a huge experience and let them run the defense for a year or two. We'll see if they, he, he ends up being there for the long run, but for right now, it seems like a smart a smart decision to make. I think Pease was in Tennessee while Smith was there, so that also makes sense. And yeah, Ragone, you know, he's an OC in name only, really, so not too much influence yeah. there, I imagine. Jets have hired Atlanta linebacker coach Jeff Ulrich to be their defense coordinator, because if I know one thing about Atlanta, it's that they had great linebacker play for the last while. Previous <laughs> relationships with Salah from the Seahawks, he was interim de- defensive coordinator for Atlanta. Under Barris, Ulrich will be the defensive play caller. I don't like this hire. Well, look, the, the defense improved significantly when Raheem Morris came um, interim head coach, and that's when Ulbrich became interim DC. You know, he's one of these people that people have talked about for a little bit, but... Yeah, I think the big decision here is that Salah has decided that he's not going to do defensive play calling, obviously coming from the defensive coordinator role. So that's an interesting choice by him. That, that indicates in the reports from the things he said, indicate that he wants to be a whole of team type coach, someone who, you know, looks at the organization at a wide level and isn't being distracted by, you know, play calling on game time. So it's an interesting decision by uh, Salah, but I think it fits his personality as being a, a bigger than life personality, someone who's, you know, wants to big up people and kind of get the motivation right. I think the uh, the, the vision thing is important, as we talked about uh, last week the the jets have a clear sense of who they want to be and what salah offers and if salah knows this guy and likes him and wants him in then that sounds like another piece of the puzzle um to come into it i mean obviously the the atlanta record isn't great but in terms of that joined up thinking which i think is a very important part of this jets process at least on, on paper this one makes sense uh, Detroit fired New Orleans secondary coach Aaron Glenn to be their defensive coordinator and former LA Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn to be their OC. Both are very highly respected. Glenn did a great job in New Orleans defensive backs and Lynn, I think the general approach in the league was he's very well liked. He is good at his job, but maybe he just wasn't that he's better going back to play calling than running the, the head coach position instead because they were getting success out of that uh, out of that offense, albeit with a you know surprise superstar in the first rounder. So it's, it's a nice enough pickup, I think, and I think Anthony Lynn can turn it around at offensive coordinator as well. Yeah, and I would discount Lynn having a chance at head coach again. Obviously, he just needs to improve on his you know game day management mm. um, and perhaps a bit of discipline as well. And look, Glenn, you know, uh, like it's it's important to note that. 
but like in the years before Glenn came into New Orleans, the secondary of, of the Saints was considered a bit of a joke during those years where they got into those shootouts all the time. Yeah. But basically the last three or four years when they've drafted well with people like Lattimore, but also brought some like lesser names to be pretty solid DBs. I think that's a, you know, there, there's obviously some potential there that this might be a guy who's under the radar could be a really good uh, opportunity there. And, you know, with a team where the head coach isn't going to have much experience, like both of these guys are going to get a lot of opportunity to, to stamp their identity on the respective um, sides of the ball. Yeah, uh, the Chargers have hired Denver's defensive back coach, Coach Ronaldo Hill, to be the defensive coordinator. And New Orleans quarterback coach, Joe Lombardi, is our offense coordinator. Hill's worked with Staley in Denver beforehand. There's looking now of this idea of is bringing in Joe Lombardi going to be how they envisage this offensive looking for Herbert going forward? Is it going to be that kind of intermediate I suppose the thing like there's a difference between the Saints offense the last year or two and the Saints offense five years ago and it's which one we're going to see because Herbert's got the arm that Breeze hasn't for the last two years this is another one where past CV doesn't uh, make Lombardi very popular on like places like Reddit or message boards. Uh, he had a pretty bad uh, reputation when he was the Detroit defensive coordinator and about being very very ideological in terms of running the Saints offense so it'll be interesting to see whether he's more pragmatic in terms of running what suits Herbert, you know, mixing in what happened last year with Shane Steichen and Anthony Lynn. I'm on offense, so, you know, uh, Detroit fans didn't like this pick, but uh, maybe he has learned since then. That's our five years ago, so, you know, people learn. Maybe he can do better in his second stint as an OC Lombardi. And it sounds a bit risky to me in the sense that, as we talked about last week, the, the rest of the coaching structure in the charge is being built around the defense, and obviously the offensive quarter becomes quite important with Herbert, and to put someone in who maybe doesn't have the best track record for that is is a little bit of a, of a risky one, you would think, given how important he's going to be to the development of essentially what is their franchise going forward. Yeah, uh, Rams have hired Atlanta defense coordinator Raheem Morris to be their DC. Pretty good run in the interim head coach role, so... Uh, like, they needed to get some fresh blood in there as they had been kind of uh, picked apart on the defensive side for, uh, they've provided the basis for several other teams' coaching staff, so time to rebuild. So I like, uh, like, I like it a bit. Again, I was loving the defensive stuff that we we're seeing out of Atlanta, but like, they've got the personnel for it, and if they think it's a scheme match, it's more, him putting a stamp on an established group rather than having to build a group up, you know? Yeah, and he was apparently being sought by a number of other teams, and I think, yeah, when you're in the Rams situation, you have a good defense, like you could try and do the Steely Road and find someone, but it's very hard to find those kind of unappreciated or unknown type of people like Staley and just pluck them from obscurity. And unfortunately, in the case of Sean McVay, he did too good of a job of it now because Staley's gone on to be a head coach. But mm. uh, yeah, Ray Mars will be given a chance, like Wade Phillips, to run that defense pretty well. And uh, I think with the talent there, he, it'd be hard to see him making a complete mess of it. Chicago provoked their safeties coach, Sean Desai, to DC. Young, highly thought of, one of Fangio's guys. He's the first person of Indian descent who's been given a coordinator role. Obviously, with the retirement of their defensive coordinator, they need to find a replacement. They've gone in-house to this, which is good, because, as we said, their performance on defense had actually been very good, and it was surprising to see that side of the ball being blown up. So hopefully they may be able to kind of keep some of what they were doing beforehand and build on it, because it was one of the few strikes on that team that uh, snuck into the seventh seed. Yeah, it's a passing of the baton kind of idea, which, as we talked about, is was important to, to hold on to what their strengths are. And if this is uh, essentially someone stepping up who is seen as, as the 
the mentor or whatever, then that's obviously a very good thing. And plus, you know, diversity in itself is also a, a good sign uh, in the NFL. Yeah, and uh, New England have hired former Detroit head coach <laughs> Matt Patricia for a variety of roles. He will be working in between uh, back office and some other bits with players, but doesn't have an official, you know, defensive coordinator or anything like that title returns to new england through the trap door underneath for reapplications, and he now sits <laughs> in his room with a poster that says don't forget you're here forever yeah bill putting the band back together yeah it's i don't know about this one i mean there's a lot of rebuilding needs to be done you'd worry is belichick looking backwards instead of looking forwards in terms of what's going on i mean you would think that someone like Belichick could be able to attract high-level, young, exciting, ambitious coaches who want to take his vision and push it forward. Instead, he seems to be progressively... He does this every few years. He goes and takes someone back. It's kind of like the, the, the father welcoming back the prodigal son. I don't know. I mean, Patricia blew up his legacy in Detroit so and kind of reinforces the question of how good the coaches under Belichick have ever been and how much of the Belichick system is just Belichick being a genius himself. So, I mean, this, I mean, variety of roles sounds good in that he, he probably won't have anything of importance to do until he proves himself capable to the task. But, yeah, I, I don't like the look of this in terms of what it says about what the Pats are, are trying to do going forward. Maybe they're just bringing him in because they're going to bring in who we're about to talk about in a second, Matt Stafford. Detroit QB Matt Stafford and the team have agreed to mutually part ways this offseason. He will be a valuable trade target for a lump of the QB needy teams. He's 33 uh, at the point the Super Bowl happens this year. He is only due $42 million over the next two years, so he is like half the price of most of the high-end quarterbacks and has shown that he can play at a good level uh, when healthy and has, for the most part, as much as I'll knock him for being Stat Padford, like he would be an immediate, <laughs> he would be immediate upgrade for a lot of teams out there. So yeah, maybe that's why New England have brought him up, Patricia, t- so they can learn what not to do with him. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if that would put him off more than anything having Patricia there. But, uh, the one way, to, the one way to ensure that he doesn't get to have an impact on your life is if he's hired in the organization and not allowed near you. Yeah. Well, look, it's a Detroit player leaving early in this case not from retirement which is the more classic Detroit way of dealing with this mm. but uh, you know I think Dan Campbell and the team he, he was aware apparently of this being something the organisation wanted to do I think Stafford's just looking to go to a, to a good team I assume so he'll probably have some influence over where he goes and yeah so a team like Indianapolis San Francisco New England these winning organisations that have done well in recent years make a lot of sense for him to try and go to um, and Detroit would get a, probably at least one first round pick and something else, which to, you know, start rebuilding and, and you know, move on to the next le- stage of their franchise. I think for, yeah, Stafford, some of the statistics are inflated a bit, but he has been a very successful quarterback. And I, yeah, I could imagine that he could easily have a, you know, very good back end of his of his career if he's put in the right situation. Mm-hmm. Certainly when you see that Philip Rivers did pretty well in Indianapolis, that would be a great place to go, for example. Yeah, that in my head is one of the ones that's the almost leaders in the clubhouse. But I suppose it depends on, and we'll be discussing this more in the coming weeks, but like this is going to be a season of unprecedented number of quarterback changes around the league, I think, because there's a lot of people up in the air, a lot of people leaving, a lot of people being traded. Uh, speaking of one move, Philip Rivers has decided to retire after 17 seasons. Uh, he was the face of the Chargers for over a decade across two cities, eight Pro Bowls. He had a comeback Player of the Year award. He was in the AFC Championship game once. The Hall of Very Good, I think, is about it. He wants <laughs> to become a head coach of a local high school team. Yeah, like, 
obviously Indianapolis don't know what they're going to do. They've got Brissett and Jacob Easton on their roster, neither of which are really a solution. So they're going to be in the hunt for someone. But uh, yeah, look, Rivers had a, he probably did better this year than I expected him to do, but wasn't much more than you would have thought at this point. It's probably good that he's going out now on his own terms rather than he was looking to be slowing down. He was making some mistakes and this way he kind of leaves without having to be pushed out the door really. Yeah, now, now he has time to start a family and all that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Put down like, some roots. Look, Rivers, you know, very colourful personality, obviously with his tendency to kind of smack talk a lot, but in, you know, the safest... P, like Refuses to swear while smack talking. Yeah, you know, diagnomit and stuff like that. You know, one of the old school quarterbacks who had complete mastery of their offense and of understanding defenses and reading those defenses, which is, you know, as, as the, as in recent years, we've seen more guys who, who use their athleticism over that, like Peyton Manning type template for how a QB is supposed to be. And yeah, he, he never had the best mechanics, but still somehow managed to be a pretty successful one. And yeah, he had that AFC championship game where he played with a turn ACL. Um, so I don't think anyone doubted his willingness to play true pain after that. And yeah, like, you know, like a classic Southern, guy he's gonna go be the head coach of his local high school team in alabama um so you know uh, you gonna wish him all the best he obviously didn't think he had enough left in the tank to, to get to a super bowl with indianapolis and so he's you know set them up to to try and you know get someone who who maybe can take them to that next step he was obviously very limited in his last couple of years but you know you could still see the intelligence and you could still see his his mastery of football managing to eke everything out of what he had left and you know fair play to him and uh, wish him all the best in his future career yeah i think it's going to be very interesting with the colts going forward because the, there is a lot of talent on that offense i mean you look at taylor and hilton uh, hines and the such like um so definitely if they can get a qb in maybe someone a little bit more dynamic than Rivers, then they, they could become a, a serious force again, given that there's well on the defensive side, they do have strength. So there's definitely someone, a veteran like Stafford or Matt Ryan or someone can look at that and think it's a very tasty, a possible, uh, well, possible, you would say a possible route back to a championship game or the Super Bowl, but they would have to get past the Chiefs and probably the Bills as well. So, I mean, if I'm a, an up-and-coming quarterback, I'm probably going to stick to the NFC for the foreseeable future. I'd be interesting. Rivers, I think, will suffer from, if it hadn't been for the era that he's coming out in, that like he might have had a shot at the Hall of Fame. And I was thinking through this the last day, and like the problem is that he's going to be finishing up. So just before him will be Eli, which will be a fight in itself, but he's you know got the Super Bowl and stuff, so like, it's not going to... So he'll get in. But... Around this exact same time, so we're presuming we've got, what, another year or so of Tom Brady, so Tom will be a year behind him. Roethlisberger might be gone this offseason or next season as well. So there's going to be a bit breeze of a long... this offseason bre- as well. Breeze this offseason as well. So, like, there's a log jam of, of quarterbacks who are better than him at stuff that, like, you know, it'll, you know, if he loses his first year to Breeze, then to, say, Brady, or to Roethlisberger, then to Brady, to, like, you know, that kind of suddenly he's been on the ballot six or seven times and he's still not getting through, you know? Uh, I think I think it will be quite difficult for him to to, to, to to get that gold jacket. But yeah, we will probably discuss that in the offseason at some point. Greg Olson has retired after 14 seasons. He had uh, probably his top years with Carolina. He had three Pro Bowl nods. Uh, I think, did he finish on the Seahawks or did he go somewhere else in the last bit? No, he was on the Seahawks roster at the end. He never managed to make it fully back from his... Uh 
injury. injury yeah. uh, he's already got a uh, commentary role uh, lined up in, in the NFL and in college, I think. So, yeah, like he, he's someone who's been around a lot. He started with Chicago, then had his best years with Carolina, especially those years with Cam Newton where they made the Super Bowl. And then it's just been a solid kind of tight end since then. Probably doesn't really have the, the peaks that would make him considered to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, but maybe considering the tight end position uh, is a bit more, you know, there's less gaudy statistics except for the Gronks and the Kelseys. He might have a chance to sneak in there someday. Minnesota offensive coordinator and Houston head coach Gary Kubiak has officially retired. Yeah, like he had prior health issues. It's probably not all that surprising, but it means that Minnesota are moving on to their sixth offensive coordinator in six years. I think his son is already in the building, so maybe he'll end up taking it, but he's a bit inexperienced. But mm. like they're going to run that uh, Kubiak type offense, which is itself from the Shanahan type off, the original Shanahan type offense. So yeah, I. They'll, they'll probably find someone who runs a very similar scheme. He's been in that building for multiple years. I'm sure they've got guys who, who have been learning under him since then. So we'll move on to injuries. Kansas City had two injuries from the game. Uh, offensive tackle Eric Fisher at the tail end of the game. This is a killer because it was in garbage time. Like The game was done at this point. Got an Achilles injury. It turns out that it's a very serious Achilles injury and he's gone for the season. So he's off, I believe, for surgery and to try and rehab. And quarterback Legereus Sneed has a concussion. He's week to week there hopeful at the moment and they've got two weeks so would normally pass at that point but hopefully he'll be fine obviously Fisher is a big knock because I think I think it means that we've only got one starting lineman left from the start of the season on that line in game they they kicked Wiley um, out to tackle and move Remmers to left tackle from right tackle mm-hmm. and then they brought in Wisniewski who's a very he's a pretty experienced veteran to be fair but yeah it's a huge issue and obviously we know that Tampa Bay have a very good uh, pass rush um, as we saw this week so yeah you have to be a bit concerned about that Mahomes might need to you know bring out the magic and hopefully have that foot healed up a bit to, to run around a bit and make something from nothing uh, on occasion yeah, the Jersey played very well for them, so again, hopefully he'll be he'll be in for next week. Tampa Bay had some injuries as well. Jordan Whitehead has a shoulder injury, and Antoine Winfield has an ankle injury. We haven't got full details, but we know they're both listed as uncertain for the Super Bowl signings. Uh, two signings, I want to mention. So uh, we always wondered what was going to happen to him after he got cut. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is now signed on in Pittsburgh, so uh, they are presumably got to try him out and see if he might be the solution there's a lot of question marks at the moment in Pittsburgh over what's going to happen at quarterback given how poorly Ben Roethlisberger finished out the season his crying after the game and looking like it might be might be donezo for him he has said apparently on local radio that he's definitely back next year but he's also lied to them pretty consistently for the last four or five years every <laughs> single offseason so who knows uh, the other one that I just thought I mentioned it's not on our list lads but I think we're all anxious to know Duck Hodgins, Devlin Duck Hodgins, has been signed by the Rams. So uh, they are obviously lighting up their solution. And it says an awful lot about your quarterback solution when Duck Hodgins is a viable backup option for you. Uh, he's no Blake well, Bortles, that's all I'll say. He is not. Uh, he's no Chad Henney. And finally, uh, controversy corner. Eh, controversy, interesting. So this is like half controversial, half not controversial. The Super Bowl in Tampa will have, and this is following on from what you were talking about last week, Sean, they're going to have 22,000 fans in the stands. Now, of yeah. which 7,500 are going to be vaccinated healthcare workers who are being given tickets for free, which is a nice thing. But 22,000 fans seems a lot. I, I hope they're spacing the vaccinated healthcare workers between the other fans. So if there's a <laughs> COVID outbreak, it, uh, there's like barriers in place to prevent it from spreading. Yeah, I mean, 22,000 is, is taking the piss. It really, it really is. Uh, 16,000 at that Kansas City game was taking the piss, but this is 
this is the next level of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's, that's so know. great. <laughs> America, freedom, etc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose we should be glad that they didn't try and sell it out because in pure capitalist America, they would try and sell yeah. freedom out. And as my understanding is in Florida, the state laws that they can. Yeah, they've been pretty uh, lackadaisical since the very beginning of this pandemic. Yeah, Fl- Fl- Florida's response has literally been, we are Florida, man. Yeah, it's like climate change, eh, you know, pandemic, eh. It's like the whole thing will just fall into the sea one day and they'll be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Who yeah. could have possibly foreseen this, partic- this their, completely predictable Their population is so old. Their population is so old, it just makes no sense. It's the one place where you wouldn't want uh, COVID to spread. Uh, sure, we'll move on. We'll have a look at the games from last week. So first up, Tampa Bay at Green Bay. They're in a C-File, 31-26. to 26. A controversial-ish pass interference call at the end uh, stops any hopes of a comeback. But let's be honest, the reason that they were in that spot is Lafleur was just not really showing any testicular fortitude he just (laughs) just didn't really want to do anything he started settling for field goals like they were down eight points and he went for a field goal in the red zone like it was ridiculous they came back after the tampa bay defense did a good job against them but then brady just had a horror show of a second half his stats overall were fine 283 touchdowns three interceptions like you know uh Little 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 wink to james winston there in that stat line and they had a 28 10 lead before the green bay fought back Brady threw three interceptions and they had a total of six points off the back of those. Like, your defense were putting you in a position to make these plays. You've got Rodgers who played very well in this game. 346, three touchdowns and an interception. They didn't get much in the red zone, but they got some very nice big plays. But I look at this and I just see... I see question mark after question mark over Lafleur's decision-making process. How they made calls like even things like i know you disagreed with me at the time sean but like i don't know why they don't go for two points on the first touchdown there like the numbers say you go for two points there so you get two attempts at if you miss one instead they leave themselves two scores down after missing it on the second attempt it was it was all a little bit a little bit bizarre it's a sad end to the green bay season and uh we could see in the comments from rogers afterwards he wasn't wild happy but uh this was a good overall performance from Tampa Bay their defense kind of being the star for me in this that they were able to get pressure and they were able to to kind of keep them shut down in the red zone it makes them a far more dangerous entity when their defense is firing this well yeah I mean a a lot of things to think about uh, in this game I mean I think I do need to highlight that the Tom Brady amazingness this will be his 10th Super Bowl which I believe is double the amount of the next the next player or at least next quarterback at at yeah Elway I believe which is yeah, Elway with five, I believe, is, is next on. I mean, he was very much in Brady playoff mode, especially, say, in the first three quarters. It was just this incredible drive management, knowing what to do in every situation, knowing when to push the risks and go for long balls, knowing when to play it safe, getting the points on the board, always putting the pressure back on the Packers, forcing them to, to have to, to keep uh, the, the score running up. And then we got in the fourth quarter kind of, I mean, old Tom Brady. I do think he began to tire um, and I do wonder, and this is something that might be interesting to kind of talk about in, in the, the you know next week and and onwards, if the system that the Bucks have set up offensively is designed specifically to hide his weaknesses, in the sense that it's a lot of kind of long throws uh, as the as the offensive explosiveness, whereas we saw that when they had to turn to kind of shorter 
medium throws in this game by the fourth quarter. Brady was throwing them very errantly. It wasn't just the interceptions. There's a number of like missed passes, which was very unlike him. So I do wonder if they're just trying to disguise certain weaknesses. Yeah, like there was that one, the, uh, that. The, the, was it Godwin who had that incredible catch over the middle where Brady basically yeah, just yeah. threw it at a cornerback? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's the thing. There were three interceptions. There was easily two other throws that could have been picked off as well and numerous numerous overthrows and such like. So I wouldn't, I mean, it's, it's incredible what he's achieved. It's incredible what he's managed to bring this, I mean, he's basically coaching this offense uh, at this point. It's amazing what he's able to bring out of them and get them to this uh, Super Bowl. But, yeah, I, I would be worried. I wouldn't overstate the Brady amazingness. I think the decline is there if you're willing to, to kind of dig into it a little bit. I, I think, as you said, I think it was this was a defensive uh, win. The Bucks. I mean, we know their, their past offense wasn't quite where it needed to be. They have the personnel, but their the numbers over the season weren't all that great. So what they've gone for instead uh, recently, and this is how they worked against the Saints, was just going for aggression and, and aiming for turnovers. Very, very kind of attacking style to try and get sacks and turnovers, which is a good way to play if you think you can't actually contain the offense, is to actually kind of give them that proverbial punch in the mouth, which we talked about with the Packers being their, their weakness, that, that maybe they weren't going to be up for, for something that was going to be a hard um, fight. It's a risky strategy, but it, it kind of just about worked out. Um, in the end, I mean, yeah, the, the the field goal from field goal decision from the floor was just a terrible decision. I mean, you cut it down from eight to five, so you don't need the two point conversion, but it requires an immediate three and out, just given the timing um, to stay in the game. I mean, it's Lafleur choosing to give the ball to Tom Brady in the hope that they can stop him, versus putting the ball in the hands of your MVP quarterback, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, yeah, which is not good. And in terms of the pass interference call. Um, we can talk about consistency. They were letting go all game, but it was also actually a foul. He was being prevented from making the catch. Yeah, which is the point to pass interference is that you call a penalty when someone is prevented. Wait, did from he interfere with the pass? I'm not. I'm not quite. Like the thing, the so thing, yeah, whatever. The thing, the thing yeah. with it is consistency, though. It's that they weren't calling all game, and even on that, when you look at it, there's a very blatant hold on the defensive end as well. That like is probably worse than the than the pass interference on the receiver. But either way, like it is, yeah, it was it was a shitty way to end it. But like the floor, the put them in that position. And like, look, Green Bay, they 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 created this hole for themselves. They obviously turned the ball over um, once through Aaron Jones. He just had a, a very good play by the defense, but, you know, an elite running back, uh, which Jones, you know, will probably want to be considered when he, he's going for the agency this offseason. You can't really afford to be giving up a play in open in open field, giving away a fumble. Um, and I think he had another fumble that, he, that they recovered. So, you know, that's not a great thing. And he would have an injury after that as well. And they never really had the same burst from the running game once Jones went out. Like Jamal Williams is a fine kind of, like, receiving type back but he's just not going to get you those hard yards and AJ Dillon does get you the hard yards but there was a couple of holes made by the Green Bay offensive line where you're kind of Aaron Jones would be like getting 30 40 yards and he was getting like 10 yards or something like that just because he doesn't have the same burst so an interesting choice for Green Bay in the running game there but yeah you know obviously it all comes down to Aaron Rodgers in this Green Bay offense and he had a pretty good game and in particular some of the play action and some of the deeper throws um MVS had his his catching gloves on mostly this game 
team. That's always a good sign for them. But, you know, Tampa Bay had that in terms of their, you know, sticky coverage. They were mostly going to focus on Levante Adams, who had nine catches for 67 yards. He did have a touchdown as well. So, But they did a mostly pretty good job of shutting him down. Um, for example, in the red zone, when they tried to run a play that worked really well against the Rams last week um, on the one-yard line, they completely shut that down. They kind of just seemed to have a, a good read for it. And the defense on Tampa Bay just were putting, like like just making Rogers' clock race that second or two earlier that he just looked a bit uncomfortable and was being forced to do things that he's perhaps not used to doing at this point in his career. And yeah, for him... You know, I know all the jokes for now. Uh, well, finally we can complain about the fact that they used that pick on Jordan Love. But, you know, his comments afterwards, I, like personally, I don't think anything. But it, de- it definitely was a shot across the bow, at least to the organization. Um, that, you know, look, I'm here. I just did won the MVP. Don't start building for the future. I need more talent. Uh, I need more help around me. Uh, and certainly, you know, uh, overall, it's a situation where, yeah, you had those two turnovers in the fourth quarter. You had adequate opportunity to get this game back. But yeah, those early uh, intercepts, the, the early mistakes cost them. And those, like, you know, I suppose the most egregious mistake wasn't even the turnovers. It was the fact that they had that, like Tampa Bay had that touchdown at the very end of the first half, which just never should have happened. So, you know, even though they got those turnovers, I think Mike Patton takes the L regardless um, because the hole that they had was mostly down to that, the, the defense just, you know, sucking at very important points during this game and putting them in the hole in the first place. Yeah, overall, good performance from Tampa Bay. Like we said, just the defense were stronger than I was expecting them to be. And uh, yeah, like Brady looked great the first half. He just looked quite, yeah, just not quite up to speed in the second half. But yeah, at, at the end of it, I just think just Lafleur. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> I just don't know what he was thinking. Yeah, like Lafleur. Lafleur takes you know, Lafleur. You know, you're going to take the L for, for for that last decision not to go for it, and then Petten, the defensive corner, has to take the L for that. That ridiculous touchdown with 25 seconds left at the end of the first half. Yeah. Just yeah. completely unacceptable to yeah. allow that to happen. Oh, sorry. I meant to even mention on that one as well, like just the ways that they mismanaged it, that they were playing, they were trying to play hurry up with 40 seconds left. And that was fine because they got a personnel match that they liked and they were trying to exploit that and not allow the defense to sub. But the fact that once the, once Tampa Bay take a timeout there, that means Tampa Bay is changing their personnel. It is complete fucking hubris to try and not change your play up. That's where that interception came from, and that was entirely on Lafleur as well. Sorry, that just popped into my head when you mentioned the the score just yeah. before the halftime. Like that was, you know, that's a perfect spot for them to go. Okay, we'll move around. We'll see what defensive positioning they've got themselves into. Then we'll take a timeout and we'll change our play. They but didn't like even not, attempt to adjust. It's not a complicated scenario. There's literally like six seconds left on the clock you know that's mm. a hail mary scenario play it like a hail mary like if they set up the field goal whatever like that's fine but yeah give away a touchdown it's just it's just not on like, oh yeah yeah but it was, I, what i was doing is like how they how they turned it over there was just a terrible decision making on the offensive part to to not adjust whenever they changed defensive personnel in the field but yeah it was just uh very 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 silly there yeah i knew there was more than just the final section of Lafleur's game. I remember there's two or three other points that I didn't like either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll stop dunking on him for now. We can save that for the off-season. We need the to, flower, right? Yeah. We'll head back, yeah, the bearded boy. We'll go back to uh, the second game, Buffalo at Kansas City. This is 24-38, to 38, and it was only really that close because of a bit of a slowdown push at the tail end. KC let Buffalo go up 9-0 to zero after a mistake in the return lent them to a very quick score after their initial field goal, but a missed extra point. Then Mahomes decided to turn it on for the next quarter he had a good game 325 and three touchdowns um the 
the explanation people always say is, look, you have to have to stop Hill or stop Kelsey. And unfortunately, the the Bills defense stopped neither. Uh, Kelsey, 118 and two touchdowns. Hill, 172 yards. A uh, lot of lot of short passes. A lot of like kind of you know uncovers and and field crosses and jet sweeps and everything. Like uh, Reed was hiding a lot, but. Yeah, it worked. It worked well for them. Allen didn't have a great day. Two eighty-seven, two touchdowns, an interception. Again, disguising coverages. Uh, There's a lot of scrambling for him. He scrambled for over eighty yards, but uh, it just wasn't really enough for them. The Chiefs' defense were playing pretty well in this game. They got a pick. They got a lot of sacks. A lot of mistakes from Allen in taking those sacks and not going down or throwing the ball away. And then you even saw later in the game when he was getting rushed and he got called for intentional grounding and so on because of the pressure. So um, yeah, it was a pretty comprehensive win from KC in that respect. As always, we have to spot some points and give everyone a slight worry at the start. <laughs> I thought I was particularly impressed with Hardman coming back after the early mistake and, and mm. being part of the... He scored the touchdown. He had a big, I think, 55-yard sweep play. And there's videos doing the rounds of whenever he came in to the sidelines, Kelsey and, and Mahomes going over and talking to him and getting him back in the game and saying, look, we're going to let you make it up now and kind of all that kind of stuff. It was really, really good to see. But yeah, pretty pretty comprehensive, pretty much uh, for, 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 for a championship game. I was nice and relaxed and not just because I've been drinking for the game beforehand. <laughs> and a, a, worrying, a worrying development for the AFC that, you know, I think people, you know, during the season, we obviously hear like Casey had all those close games people are like oh maybe they figured them out and then uh in the first half against cleveland and in this game they just grant yeah that was just us kind of going on second gear and now we're going up the third gear and just kind of we can just beat you every which way that we can think of you know as as you mentioned reed kind of pulled out some of the tricks like you had the bucket pass touchdown to kelsey which is almost like a, a standard play for 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 kansas city at this point and other teams are now using it themselves and then you had the sweep to Michael hardman which ended up with a touchdown to Michael hardman on a on a basic screen which was you know good to get him back up and comfortable and mm-hmm. after that fumble had given buffalo the lead or a bigger lead i should say but like to be honest, like even though like Kelsey uh, ended up with 118 yards and two touchdowns, and Hill had like 172 yards, which is like a lot, and I think there was <laughs> nine catches. They weren't coming on like beating the defense over the top. They were just getting them into you know yards after catch situations, and the Buffalo defense just didn't have the you know I don't know athleticism, tackling technique, or just didn't you know weren't able to understand or play you know or like to understand the scheme beforehand to get it get to them quick enough and they just you know add up the yards quickly after that more so hill he had a couple of big plays and i think he had one that he just stepped out early that could have even went even longer mm. that just like you know pass it quick to him on a on an outer and slant and he just went for you know 10 20 30 40 yards on different plays it's just you know tyreek hill you know, you, you mostly think of him as someone who breaks you down the field. Um, but in this game, you kind of saw, you know, some of that almost kick return type of style that we saw from him earlier in his career in, in Kansas City. Mm. And so, yeah, Andy Reid just put on a show and just absolutely annihilated a defense in Buffalo, which did hasn't had its best year, but which has certainly looked a bit better in the playoffs. But here just looked like a complete, I don't want to say a joke, but would just look completely outmatched by Pat Mahomes, who, you know, despite the fact he had a, has a gammy toe, turf toe, you know, scrambled like once and looked fine uh, to a certain extent. I'm almost worried that it helped him because it's like he didn't have, he couldn't quite do those 10 step drops and those ridiculous things that sometimes he does. He just did what the offense is supposed to do and his ability to read the game as well as have those ridiculous plays and uh, those that ridiculous talent. It's just very, very scary for anyone who wants to win um, going forward in the AFC. 
And on the other side, you see in Josh Allen, a, a QB who has come on so much this year. His technique has improved greatly, his accuracy, uh, and even his ability to read the game. But you just saw here that, uh, you know, Spagnolo, who has a, who's a veteran defense, uh, one of these old school defense coordinators who runs a very complex scheme, which has a lot of veterans to kind of keep that going, had a lot of disguised coverages, rotating coverages that Tony Romo talked a lot about. And it just seemed to get underneath Allen's skin, especially early in the game where he had a couple of dropped picks that, that could have easily happened early on. Oh, so, yeah, on the opening drive, I was I was so mad that that one was dropped. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up not mattering, thankfully, for you, Connor. But, like, yeah, you kind of saw that as the game went on, as they got more desperate, he was being forced to scramble more and more. And then you see the ultimate test in the red zone. They were 2 of 5 in terms of conversions. And there's an argument, a bit like LaFleur, though I don't think it would have made a difference in this game, that McDermott was too conservative early in this game, perhaps should have been more aggressive, even mm. given the issues with Allen. You know, overall, it just felt that Kansas City were a, a step above Buffalo in talent on both sides of the ball and never looked too uncomfortable once they got going, basically. And yeah, it's just very scary how good they are. You, you genuinely are seeing the potential, you know, start of, of a New England-style dynasty here with Mahomes just being so ridiculously, you know, not just in terms of what he can do in terms of his talent and ridiculous plays, but his ability to understand and play the game. It's it's, it's just very scary for everyone in the league right now. Yeah, if, I, if I'm Buffalo, what worries me here is just how distinctly second best that they look, that they this is the team that they're going to have to get through at some point if they want to make a Super Bowl um, at some point, say, in the next five years. And they just don't look at that level. Their defense, I mean, they they tried this soft zone thing because they didn't want to give up the long plays, but all that really does is, a, is basically choosing your poison allowed Casey to kind of grind them down and just slowly accumulate points. The problem with, with this playing this KC offense is there's just so many different ways they can beat you, and then they're, they've now developed that patience where they're willing to just take the 15-play the drives and, and walk it down the field very slowly. So Buffalo were beaten on both ends of the ball here. Their, their defense couldn't match the KC offense. Their offense was kind of schemed out of it in terms of what the defense was able to do to them. And, I mean, I also think they were maybe just a little bit nervous. It's something I've kind of seen in all three of the, of the Bills' playoff games they haven't quite been at that kind of explosive level and largely i think it is that this is their first in the in the playoffs and especially this deep this is the kind of this is the the baptism of fire for them alan and Diggs and such like learning that this is the level you want to have to get to consistently so i think this will this will speak to the bills going down the line they will they will realize this is the standard we have to get to this is what we have to work towards. We have to figure out defensively how to attack a team like this. Offensively, we have to figure out how to score points against a defense that is giving us all these kinds of troubles. And, and I do think they will have opportunities again. I, I do kind of foresee this as being the AFC Championship game for, you know, not maybe not every year, but certainly most years for, say, the next five or six years, this will probably be, be the AFC Championship game. And the Bills' challenge is how do they find a way to beat this team? Because um, if they want to have any hope of winning a Super Bowl, they are going to have to beat this team at some point. Uh, and it doesn't look at the moment like they're quite, they have any answers really for when, for when Casey are in top form. They don't seem to have any kind of clever strategies or any kind of one, one-upmanship type positional structural stuff or anything like that. Um, so a lot of work, but I, I think it's good work. It's, it's one of the situations where there's a lot of hard work ahead, but I think it's exactly how Sean McDermott would want it. If you're a Bills fan, you obviously, this is almost where you want to be. You want to be in a position where your task in the next few years is to figure out how to beat the best team in in the NFL by some distance. And if you can do that, then you can win a few championships. Like when you look at their offense, you can't like 
uh, like when you compare to Mahomes, like Allen, you know, this offseason, he's worked on his mechanics. He's improved that part of his game, his accuracy. He now needs to, you know, get into the playbook and try to understand the game at the level of the very best in the league. You know, the Brady's, the Mahomes, uh, already talking about Mahomes that way. But, you know, even the old school people like Rivers. Uh, and I also think that their offense is a bit static overall. They don't do a lot of movement. They don't try to disguise what they're doing. It's an execution over scheme type of offense. Maybe there's a, you know, when you see what Kansas City are doing, where not only do they have Mahomes at this high level, but they also do so much to make the life of the defense difficult. Like to get the count, like the, the, I think the second Kelsey touchdown where Kelsey was wide open. Those are things that maybe they need to consider looking at. Like I know the, the, you know, blasting a deep uh, type of offense can be very effective, but, you know, we've seen offenses like Seattle and, and Buffalo, they get slowed down when the, uh, you know, people either have elite defensive coordinators or they have more time to just prep for you individually like you have in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah one thing the Bills could really do with is a run game, like an actual, well, not, yeah. not just Josh <laughs> Allen, but having a run option that's something that, so that the defense doesn't just have to focus on taking away Allen's passing options and, and kind of keeping Diggs quiet and maybe keeping a spy to make sure Allen himself doesn't doesn't break out for a run. I think they need enough. They need something else that that they can break out. That if in these kind of situations they can at least grind out a few first downs because it does seem to be boomer bust with the with this offense when it's on when it's working it's explosive and they rack up the points. But just as easily, they can get very quickly into a rut that they can't seem to get themselves out of. Yeah, and they probably do also need to look at adding another receiving threat to it because look, Diggs is very good. Uh, he was kept almost entirely quiet in the first half of this game, I believe. But uh, like, you know, you're you're working with Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox. Like, I think their hope is that John Brown can be that guy. But like, yeah, there, I don't think there's enough things to have to be defending if they're not hiding what they're doing all that much. Yeah, I think. Beasley uh, was playing through a broken fibula as well, so he was I heard that. That's horrifying that. and impressive. Brown, <laughs> Brown has been injured this season as well, so he's probably you know not playing at his full potential. Mm. But yeah, I think sir, like uh, I don't know if the, you can afford to do that, but yeah, if you could do that, that would also help. I just think the offense it's a bit it, it's very effective when it works, but I think sometimes it's a bit. There's certain things that they could certainly look at from pe- teams like KC or from the Shanahan system and just kind of add some more give. Allen a bit more help with the run game, but also in terms of, you know, not letting the defense key on them quite as easily. Yeah, and I shout out to, to Frank Clark doing his traditional, like, only do so much during the regular season and then show up a lot in the <laughs> postseason. Three tackles today, two of which were sacks. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's, that's the kind of efficiency you want. I suppose with that, we'll move on to some questions from the listeners. Okay, so first up, we have a question in here. It says, this is the first ever home team Super Bowl, so obviously that Tampa Bay are playing in their home stadium. We've had a couple of runs at it previously of the Vikings wanting to do it and not getting there. Um, will this help or disrupt Tampa Bay? Obviously, pressure, media, visibility, and all that kind of stuff. So I suppose, yeah, like, in theory, there's home field advantage and all that kind of stuff. But, like, it's going to be neutral crowds for the most part because this is all corporate for the, like, the majority of people who go are, are corporate tickets. I suppose, like, the plus to not being there in my head would be, like, the Chiefs will, because I, I think this year in particular, because of COVID, they're only going down two days beforehand. So, like, the Chiefs will be able to be at Arrowhead away from 
all of the media. There'll still be some media. Uh, they'll be able to practice on their own field and take their time and all that kind of stuff and kind of know what they're up to. Whereas, like, if the guys are practicing down in Tampa Bay, presumably there's going to be a media circus there for a week and a half and it's going to be busy and it's going to be, you know, partially exhausting. Yeah, but I think it will be attenuated somewhat by the fact that, you know, COVID is going to or certainly decrease the ability of the media to interact with them. You'll imagine they'll have they'll they'll have much more limits on interaction. It could probably will all be done virtually, or at least in my opinion, should all be done virtually. So I do think, you know, if this was a normal year, I definitely think that this could be a consideration. Um, it does obviously not an issue for people like Tom Brady who've been through it before, but for the team as a whole, it mm. could be an issue. Yeah, I, I think there's kind of two parts to this question. The, the first question is in, in the general sense, would a home team, as home team at a Super Bowl ha- be affected in what ways? And secondly, how does the COVID situation specifically impact it? And I, I think Pitts is right in terms of there will be less of a media presence there. Certainly from what I'm hearing, most organizations are, are not going to be sending their usual numbers. Uh, they're going to be sending skeleton crews or just what is necessary, say, for the broadcast. Mm-hmm. or what have you. So there isn't going to be that kind of pressure. So that that does kind of kind of speak against it. I mean, you get the benefits of you you get to stay at home for the for the entire two weeks. You get to sleep in your bed. You get to, you know, see your wife and kids and all that kind of stuff. You get to stay in your normal routine and therefore it probably isn't as much of a disruption as it would be to say to go to another city in a hotel and have to deal with all the media issues. Um, I, I do think there's probably a particular, the fact that it's Tampa Bay and the fact that this is their first Super Bowl in, I think, 18 years, I think is going to play into a, a kind of a local kind of hyperbole and excitement that you probably would have liked to have gotten away from. That if this was a team that made, if this was if this Super Bowl was been played in New England and it was the Patriots were in it, it would be less of a problem than something like this, uh, kind of the novelty of our team is suddenly good. We've got the, the best player of all time um, playing for us. The, it's all very exciting. And now we get to see it in our home stadium as well. So I think there is going to be a, a little bit of a kind of a domestic kind of excitement that they're going to have to deal with from their own fans, probably more than the media um, itself. But certainly that would be tempered somewhat by COVID. But these are professionals. Certainly the ones that have been to Super Bowls before probably won't get affected as much um, as, as, as the first timers. And you would hope that someone like Brady would be able to kind of lead them through the process and be able to get them there. So I, I can see both sides of it. And I, I think the COVID situation probably complicates this too much to, for us to be able to give a definitive mm. um, answer. I certainly think in a normal year, it would be quite a disruptive thing given how much media is there. But in a COVID year, it probably isn't going to have that as big uh, an impact. No, of course. Uh, Next question. Longevity of Brady's career, an outlier or indicative of future trends? Will we see more players play into their 40s or is he just just a completely special little flower? I don't know about the 40s, but I I think players will play a bit longer. I think you've already seen that. These guys, because there's the, the medical advances and the, the QBs are being protected so much more, that particular position I could see more people playing longer. But I do think Brady, even within the context of these outliers, will will be a complete aberration in terms of how successful he has been. Like he's had a Hall of Fame level like career since his mid thirties, uh, maybe even from like like late thirties. So I don't know if you'll have that much success, but I, I see more QBs playing a bit later. Um, and we're already seeing that to a certain extent uh, with these guys, uh, like Breeze and stuff. Yeah, you say it's Breeze, a Breeze is 18 months younger than him and he's just retired. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a general trend you're seeing in a lot of sports. I mean, tennis is the other one that will kind of speak to mind that we have players 
still playing at top level of tennis uh, in, in their late 30s, which is kind of unheard of in terms of the sports um, history. Um, and you have in, in the NFL, you, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is 37 and he's playing at the peak of his of his powers. Breeze obviously was only this season that he kind of, the decline set in for real. Uh, Manning played quite late into his career. So, I mean, there is a general trend pushing the, the age upwards and I think we will see players playing into their 40s more regularly. I just don't, but at the same time, Tom Brady is a freak of nature who is ridiculously, you know, a control freak about his about his health and his body and everything. Um, there's no way, I, I think it's been a very long time before we see someone playing at this level at 43 years old. Because mm. um, there was a good stat I saw, I can't remember, it might have been in the Saints game, where they showed Brett Favre's last season um, when he was 40 <laughs> versus Brady's most recent season when he was 40, 43. And there was a great comparison in terms of the numbers and such like, so it was. And at the time, Favre playing into his 40s at level was, was just unprecedented, un, unheard of. Mm. And Brady is doing that with three more years um, on his belt. So I think it goes to speak to, to Brady as a freak of nature more than anything else, the fact that it's gotten to 43, but certainly late 30s, early 40s um, medical science yeah. makes that a lot more possible now. With, with what players know about about health and how to take care of themselves. No, of we'll, we'll see more rivers and breeze type players, but yeah, I think Brady is yeah, genuinely yeah, yeah. an yeah. No, no, that's fair enough. And last one is actually it's a pretty big one, so we might well just just do it a quick initial thing, and we'll actually hold off most of it for the next one. But uh, it says, what level of available quarterback would you need to take over a first round pick? There's a lot of quarterbacks that are coming out this year, a lot of ones who are going into either trade or free agency. And there's also, I think the general consensus, and we'll get it on our draft analysis, is there's about four top-end quarterbacks in this draft. So what level of these free agents would you take, would you trade away your pick for instead? Watson, definitely, Stafford maybe, and so on. I think this depends massively on the team you have. And I think maybe we could look at it on a team-by-team basis. Yeah, like I think like Deshaun Watson, if you, if you don't have a like superstar quarterback already then i would give up multiple first rounds yeah easily like aaron Rodgers, if he is available for trade probably uh you know similar probably similar Jesus, yeah. matt stafford anything less to, like if, if you don't have a top 10 pick i would probably be willing to trade that for matt stafford mm-hmm. along with some some like make weight maybe uh dak prescott maybe if, if if dallas don't pay him or if they try tag and trade i would probably give a first rounder for him but yeah uh, all the rest of them people like darnell wentz garoppolo uh, unless I have a low first round pick, I, I probably well. Yes, for most of those, I, would, I don't think I would even look. At yeah, that like sure. Garoppolo, maybe like a bottom of the first round, I might consider it. But even then, I'd be not huge. And then, yeah, yeah. Wentz and Darnold are a step below that, even so. Watson, Prescott, Rogers, I would do a lot to get them. Stafford, I'd be like to fix a problem. Um, if you have a veteran team, certainly. Uh, the rest of them, no, I wouldn't wouldn't touch them for a first round pick unless it's a basically a second round pick. I have to disagree here. I think first round quarterbacks are grossly overrated. I think the hit rate <laughs> on first round picks that turn into genuine franchise quarterbacks is incredibly low. I mean, for every for every kind of superstar Andrew Luck that you get, you end up um, with a Johnny Football or whatever. That there's as many misses as there are hits. Um, in this, so I, I think most veterans of, of a reasonable quality would be better than a first round pick, just because of the certainty that you have. I think people like Stafford and Ryan, I would take them every day over the over a first round pick, unless unless you were unless it was a a, a star and like an absolute huge college star, and you had you had the definite first pick. 
So I think that the risk of, of the first round quarterback, I, th- I think it's just too much variance there. You're going to end up with as many busts as you are hits. So I would take the established veteran quarterback over a first round pick almost every time, unless you're talking about the very top of the draft and a, an established and a, and a big superstar with a lot of hype um, around them. I think people like Stafford, Ryan, whoever, people who have proven that they can play at a high level in the NFL, I, I would take them every day over the over the risk of a first-round pick because I think there's just – the NFL drafts uh, are the graveyards of, of first-round quarterbacks. And many of the best quarterbacks don't even get picked in the first round because they need to, time to develop and there's differences between college and pro football. So I would be very wary about, about giving up any kind of go- – anyone who could be considered to be a, qual- a good – a good veteran quarterback for a first round pick, I would never do. Yeah, and like just as well as in terms of giving up like a top ten pick for like Stafford, it depends where you are. Like if you're a Jacksonville full rebuild mode, doesn't really make sense, or Jets even uh, perhaps. But uh, if you're like a New England where it's really you know you're not in a full rebuild necessarily, then maybe it makes more sense to go for someone like that. But uh, you know, in top ten, a lot of those teams, I don't know if it makes sense to kind of put a guy in there unless you think you have the talent around them to make something of them early on and make use of them while they're still, you know, at their peak, you know? And I suppose that's the other thing as well, is like there probably will be elements that'll play in, like, you know, can you pay forty million a year to Rogers or are you better off, you know, particularly if we're I think the I think we're expected to be twenty million down on the cap this year or whatever. That like, you know, can you afford to have that or do you need to have them on the rookie contracts and stuff? So I'd say we'll probably dig into that a bit more in depth in the off season. To do be some matchmaking, you know? Yeah. Well I was actually <laughs> I was thinking something like that would be good fun. We'll do some QB matchmaking. Maybe even next week, who knows? Uh sure, we'll go on and we'll have a look at the games that are upcoming this week. So there's one game, one game only, and that's the Pro Bowl. We are very excited for this until we find out the terrible news that they're not actually going to play the Pro Bowl. They're going to play the Pro Bowl on Madden, which is significantly yeah. less fun. The, the um, Sean Watson and Derrick Henry versus Kyler Murray and Jamal Adams. I believe that's the main event game. The, can, there's can, lots can, of other... Can I check? On the selection of this, was that just because they were, you know selected to the Pro Bowl or slash as Pro Bowl alternates or was there some kind of internal who's the be- who, who's the Pro Bowl of Madden playing amongst the players the Pro Bowl Madden playoffs yeah a bit of A a bit of B I'd say it's you know high high profile stars who like Madden and want to make a bit of money basically mm. that's probably how they chose it like I think that's only one part of it there'll be like a a special like recognition of them and like I assume like a ceremony and stuff like that they kind of mm. talk about how great these people are and all that kind of crap and you know it's probably not going to be worth watching in but if you want the closest thing to the Pro Bowl that will happen um, it will be the Madden equivalent uh, between the uh, NFC stars versus the AFC yeah. stars the one thing I that's interesting can- on this one is that we'll actually see because normally the Pro Bowl you know while it's the best game of the year it also doesn't always have all the players because some of them can't make it or they're just afraid to be on that biggest stage so but because they're not actually playing it this year uh we can actually just look at who the rosters selected for both sides were and kind of like just look at if everyone was available to play who would be the best which i think is kind of fun so i suppose we'll 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 go down through the rosters position by position and like we'll kind of in the ones where we agree i think we'll kind of we'll leave them at that and then we got ones where we think People should definitely change. So AFC will start with quarterback, Pat Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, I think makes sense. Fullback, Patrick Richard, probably makes sense. I, I threw in sausage because I love sausage. But uh, but yeah, it is probably Patrick Richard. <laughs> he's gotten more uh, he's gotten more. I'll make sure to clip that for the uh, beginning of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, running back, Derek Henry. Yeah, wide receiver, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, wide receiver, Stefan Diggs. 
Yeah. These are all safe. And Travis yeah, Kelsey is... Kelsey uh, is... So they have Eric Fisher down as a left tackle, or they just say tackle. Tackles, yeah. Yeah, they so... Don't, they don't differentiate. Yeah, let's be honest. Look, Fish, I think he's good. I think he's a consistent top 10 player. I don't think he's top five in a left tackle position, alone the best in the AFC. Full stop. I do still love yeah. him the bits, and I think he's going to be a glass for the upcoming for the upcoming game. But like, he's not the best one. So I think fits. We've all gone for the same guy, haven't we? Yeah, I think Bowles, Garrett Bowles, Denver is a good redemption story. He had a very tough start to his career, and this year had a you know very easily a Pro Bowl level um, performances. So I think for the for the narrative and for the performance, I think Garrett Bowles is worth a Pro Bowl nod here. Yeah, so Garrett Bowles probably subs in there ahead of Fish. Uh, the other tackle is Laramie Tunsil. I'm overall happy with that. But Sean, you had a suggestion. Yeah, Jack Conklin, uh, Cleveland Browns. I think he's mm. played at a very high level this year. He kind of led that O-line to the elite level that they were at. By the end of the season, they were playing very well. And to the point where his injury, I think it was against the Steelers, basically almost entirely derailed the Browns' playoff run single-handedly because the offense just couldn't get going anymore. So uh, to me, he's he's been the most visibly impressive um, offensive tackle that I've seen this year. So I would put him in. Uh, and better value than Tunsil as well, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, a lot cheaper. <laughs> so. uh, our guards are Joel Batonio and Quentin Nelson. I think we've all agree with Quentin Nelson and for the most part agree with Batonio. Uh, Ronan, you have another guard you want to suggest? Yeah. The other guard for, for Cleveland, Wyatt Teller, mainly because I like he, he has the name of the protagonist of the next great American novel. I just, Wyatt Teller, that's a great <laughs> name. And he played really well as a rookie, so I'm going to give him the nod over over his teammate, Petonia, but it's very close between them. Yeah, and at centre, we have Marcus Pouncey is listed here. Now, <laughs> this, this, this can tell you exactly the, when what? this was voted for, because <laughs> this clearly happened before the absolute mayor of a postseason where he had two botched snaps over the head of, of uh, Rosenberger. So me and Sean have decided to go with Colts centre Ryan Kelly. He's been pretty consistent for the last few years, played a good game this year on both the, 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 the run good, and good the Good Irish pass. name as well. He is, yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's my second cousin. Uh, and Ronan, you've gone for J.C. Yeah. Trader. Yeah, I went for the you know villain from an 80s cartoon. Yeah, uh, it definitely, sa- definitely sounds like the second in command of Cobra Kai. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also from the brands, fair play. You know, more brands, the better uh, for this type of stuff. Yeah, no, happy days. Uh, so we'll move on to the defense then. Uh, Bosa and Garrett at defensive end. I think we all agree with that. We also all agree with Jones in at DT. Uh, they put Cam Hayward in there as well, but I think we're all unanimously agree DeForest Buckner should be in there instead. Yeah, great trade target, and he was just incredibly disruptive when he was playing this year for Indianapolis. So yeah, yeah, Hayward's fine, but you know he didn't have his best year by any by any degree. No, of course, uh, solid linebacking group here. We've got uh, Bradley Chubb, T.J. Watt, and Darius Leonard. Uh, I think we're all in agreement with those ones. And uh, the the back end of this as well is is a pretty tasty number. Xavier uh, Howard, Trey White, Honey Badger, and Minka Fitzpatrick. That is a tasty looking back end. Although. Uh, you had a suggestion for a different cornerback instead of Trey White, Sean. Yeah, it's, it's a sentimental pick. I've gone for J.C. Jackson of the Pats because he's basically the only Pats defender that's played any well this season. I think he actually finished second in the interceptions. He was, I think, nine interceptions, one behind Howard in the end. So, I mean, Trey White did play at a high level, but but I, I just loved – Jackson was my one kind of shining moment from this season. So I thought I, I'd think of that. <laughs> And they, I think he got disrespected because they didn't have him on the Pro Bowl ballot at all initially, and they had to fix that pretty quick based oh. on the uh, the New England faith. Fair enough. Yeah, this is a tasty old defense we're getting on the AFC. Uh, special teams, kicker, tucker, punter, Jack Beatty, a special teams player, uh, Slater and returner, Andre Roberts. Yeah, look, just because I don't like tucker, uh, I've gone with Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> 
he also has been off the last couple of games. It hasn't been his best season. Um, but, you know, he, he has been one of the most consistently good kickers for the last 15 years. So, you know, yeah, you can understand why he gets there. Most of the rest of them I'm fine with. Uh, you had a selection for returner, Sean, did you? Yeah, again, uh, Pat's a sentimental pick, Gunnar Sleski, who had that one <coughs> mega game. Um, I think he's got high upside, and I think he could run a few touchdowns on returning. So why not? Cool. So that is our some random Bill who I've never heard of. Yeah. This is our this is our a our AFC roster then, and it looks pretty stacked to be honest. Uh, north mm-hmm. side, uh, NFC roster uh, quarterback Rogers. Yep. Uh, fullback use check. Rip. Yep. Let Russ cook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> running back Dalvin Cook. Suggestion of Kamara there, but Cook yeah, did have the numbers behind. That's him, the yeah. question. Yeah, I suppose. But yeah, um, I think Cook. Yeah, he deserves it based on what he did this year, and he's, he's, yeah. he he is a dual threat. Like I like. Kamara has those ridiculous plays, but Cook is just, you know, you can build an entire engine around him, and we've seen that already. No, of course. Uh, wide receivers, they've got Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. So the, 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 the big call in here would be a question of Justin Jefferson, potentially, because uh, he did have an incredible season. Uh, it, it's yeah. a problem of them only having two wide receivers, because the yeah. tight ends in the NFC are terrible. They've got <laughs> TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, like so TJ Hawkinson is the fucking call here. George Kittle, uh, you have who's yeah, good. I just think George Kittle because he he only played for eight games, but was only like a hundred yards or so behind Hawkinson. He is obviously <laughs> the only good tight end in the NFC. So mm. I picked him despite missing half the season. I think Sean yeah. opted out completely, and Connor, you decided to hack the system. Yeah, I I decided that I'm just going to play three wide receivers. So we're gonna get uh, we'll have Adams and Jefferson play as wide receivers, and have Hopkins line up in, as a tight end. Because I, I, I got a feeling he can block as well. Okay, let's look at the offensive line here. Tackles, Bakhtiari and Trent Williams. Makes sense for the most part. You suggested Brian Ramchick as well. Oh, yeah, the Saints. Yeah, I, I, a few times I see him, saw him this year, and he looked, he looked good mm. to me. So uh, I thought I'd mix it up a bit. Yeah. Uh, Sheriff and Jenkins at guard, uh, but you would prefer Ali Marpet, is it? Yeah, I think just a shout-out to Tampa Bay's offensive line. I think it's been pretty effective. Yeah, particularly Jenkins the last some- couple of weeks have been great. Yeah, Jenkins had some good games um, down the stretch, but I, I I don't think he you know was quite why that offensive line was so good in Green Bay. He had a lot more help around him necessarily. No, of course. Uh, the center is one that <laughs> it's Jason Kelsey, which I think is probably on name recognition. But we'd all agree Corey Lindsley makes a lot of sense here. Like yeah, he played a great season so far. Uh, I, I suppose well uh, in, in its entirety at this point. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I think the. Kelsey and Pouncey, the center, seems to be the one huge blind spot for Pro Bowl voters. So uh, need to work mm. on that, guys. We'll move up to our defensive side of the ball. Our defensive ends are Cam Jordan and Brandon Graham. Two big names, but maybe not the most productive. Yeah. There's a few other people who could be in, who might be less famous, like your Zadarius Smith and so on. Well, Zedaria Smith was prick. Like, this is, this is like, you know, you were disagreeing about tight ends and whatever. Whatever. Let's go for the hipster you know, worries over the Pro Bowl of like, why are they running a 4-3 defense when, you know, the <laughs> NFC is stacked with great coverage linebackers who never get the respect that they deserve because um, there's only one inside linebacker or middle linebacker. So mm. I put Zedaria Smith from OLB, um, which, you know, in most schemes is a pass rushing scheme, but in 4-3 would be a coverage position. Mm. So I put him at defensive end because I don't think Cam Jordan or Brandon Graham had great years. And then I stuffed Devin White, Fred Warner and Bobby Wagner in the, the, the linebacker core and running a more, <laughs> you know, just like give me all those great linebackers in coverage and we'll just run a 4-3 and let them all do their work. 
Um, and Trey Hendrickson, to be fair, had more sacks than Cam Jordan in New Orleans. Um, so I'm giving a bit of wreck there for a player who is obviously uh, less name recognition coming into the season. No, of course. Our defensive tackles are obviously Aaron Donald and whoever else. Uh, Fletcher Cox is the is the answer, but you said Leonard Williams, because like you said, you want to change it up a little bit as well. But yeah, like Aaron Donald universally was seen as being the best or, you know, top two defensive players, like very, very, very strong position yeah. group for them there. And to be clear, the Pro Bowl does have a 4-3 scheme by implicit from how it chooses to dole out these positions. The All-Pro yeah. is, you know, has edge players and interior players. It makes sense. But if the Pro Bowl is going to run a 4-3, they should have the guys I'm suggesting. At, at the <laughs> okay. Outside linebackers, Darius Smith and Khalil Max. Darius Smith coming out of yours, you're bringing in Devin White. And then we've all said Fred Warner to go into that second offensive or outside linebacker yeah. position. I think you all agree um, with to some extent by putting Warner in there. You know, fuck yeah. the pass rushers. Yeah, some respect yeah. for these guys who, who did the hard work. Also, to be fair, let's be honest, Mac didn't have the world's greatest season. Like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was mostly what I was. was uh, I wasn't really thinking scheme fit, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> Bobby Wagner at middle linebacker, yeah, kind of makes sense. Uh, well, there, there, is a, there is a thought here, maybe Rokan Smith of the Bears. I did think about that, maybe. Yeah, he did close, have a lovely season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, our cornerbacks are Jalen Ramsey and Jair Alexander, which are a nice pairing there, and we all agree. Uh, strong safety, they've given us Quandre Diggs. I would have gone Jamal Adams and uh, Fitz, you would have gone Adrian Amos. Sorry, this, I think this is the other way around, but the, he would have been free safety. But mm. yeah, regardless, I'd probably put Adams in it, you know. But Adrian Amos had a good, good he's a good all round yeah. uh, safety for Green Bay, so I give him some recognition here. Yeah, so Buda Baker is a f- other free safety grand pick. Uh, Young Ho Koo makes perfect sense as a kicker there. Special teams player Nick Bellor, that's fine. Punter, they've gone for Jack Fox. Uh, you'd like to take Michael Dixon instead? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have one homer pick and I'm going to pick Michael Dixon from the Seahawks. The <laughs> Fair enough. Like, <laughs> you know, like, not the safety position where both of us have picked Jamal Adams. You're like, nah, man, the punter. The punter's <laughs> <laughs> to go on this one. And then the returner is uh, Patterson. You've gone for Deontay Harris. Yeah, like yeah, he had some. I, I just think he's more exciting. And I think kick returns, even though Patterson is the master of them, are just there's so few of them, relatively speaking. If the other team doesn't want to give them to you, both good teams. But I can't help but think the AFC would kick the shit out of the NFC. On this <laughs> one, I take absolutely for crushed them. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> uh, do we know Fitz? Do you know how much control the uh, the 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 players have over this? Are they just play calling and Madden is simming it? I believe they will be playing fully, but uh, it's two players. I'm not sure if they'll be like offense, defense, players, whatever, or if they'll be doing quarters or something like that. I haven't looked up the details. Yeah. I see. I presumed it was offense, defense, but then that actually doesn't make sense, does it? Because yeah, like, it's two offensive players. <laughs> Well, the, the the NFC has a has a defensive player, but mm. yeah, I don't. I expect they'll. Uh, it probably won't make that much sense. It's mm. it's bad and it's Pro Bowl. It's it's fine, you know. You know, COVID's taken a lot away, but the Pro Bowl that that truly is the the worst of the worst, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Um. Yeah. No. So I think that should be. Uh. That should do it for now. So obviously we're going to go into our full previews and everything next week, and we'll go probably very in depth position by position on a lump of this stuff as well for the upcoming games, and we'll obviously bring you a review of how the Madden-based Pro Bowl competition went uh, <laughs> in, in excruciating detail. Well, um, we'll have a Pro Bowl report of some type, but we will. Yeah. Like. But as always, popping questions to us on Twitter, Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, any plans for the weekend with yourselves, guys? Then obviously watch the Pro Bowl. I've been playing uh, Fallout New Vegas of late, so 
Oh, great game, great game. It is, yeah. I realized that I hadn't played it in years, and I also never finished it the first time I played it, because uh, I got too distracted on SideQuest and then moved <laughs> like to a different country. So uh, I'm hoping to maybe get further through the story this time around. Yeah, no, New Vegas is all about the side quest. The main quest is is okay, but the, the side quest, the, the, the general world is, is just, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, no, it's great fun. So I'll probably do a bit of that. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> most of it, to be and honest. It's not like we can do a lot. today that in Ireland uh, we're on lockdown until March now, so. Yeah. yeah uh, no no going March, to Super Bowls for Irish people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Well, I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll manage to survive somehow. Yeah, I must actually pick a few bits. I might try and pick something fun to cook on this weekend. I think that could be fun to do. But yeah, nothing else yourselves. Your your Liverpool aren't playing, are they, Sean? Or uh, I think they're playing. They're playing Thursday and I, against Spurs, and I think they might be playing West Ham at the weekend. But uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of getting that stage where even watching them is getting a little bit too painful. So I have to pick and choose which games uh, I might actually enjoy watching. But. Uh, yeah, I hope they turn it around pretty quickly or that the season could be in a bit of a mess pretty soon. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I suppose for now, that's uh, bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from John. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week.